Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Wild Idaho Podcast, brought to you by the Idaho Conservation League. The Idaho Conservation League is Idaho's leading voice for conservation, protecting the air you breathe, the water you drink, and the land you love. This podcast is the place to find your community, get inspired to take action for the Idaho you love, and hear stories from real people who are making a difference to our amazing state of Idaho. Welcome to the Wild Idaho Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Hopkins, and I'm really glad you can be here to join us. Today's topic is one that's a little early, but one that's never too early to start talking about, and that is smoke management. Um, Forest fires, prescribed fires, crop burning. What are we going to do with the smoke and how it's going to affect our public health? Um, So we're going to go over all things that's related to that. Uh, Today is kind of a unique day, though, because I am joined by a guest host, Haley Robinson. Haley, welcome to Wild Idaho. Hi, Austin. Thanks for having me. And uh, we're actually, we actually have two guest hosts. Would you like to introduce our... Yes, our second guest host is my little dog, Louise, who is accompanying me for a couple hours in the office today and wanted to say hello to Austin. So if you hear any snorting in the background, that is not me. That is my little dog, Louise. Um, and like Austin said, my name is Haley. I work at ICL as well. Um, I'm part of the development team, so I work with our members, hopefully a lot of you listeners out there. And I'm also um, doing some marketing for ICL. So thank you for having me here today. Yeah, no, stoked to have you. Um, this is kind of a, a, a new shift. We Typically you have me a- asking people questions. Um, I recently attended uh, the Smoke Management Conference, and we thought it would be an interesting thing to tell you folks about. So rather than have me ask myself questions and respond to those questions, I brought Haley on board. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk all things smoke today. So yeah, excited to have great. you. Well, uh, if you're ready, let's get started on this. Um, so tell me a little bit about what the Smoke Management Conference is. Yeah, so this the Smoke Management Conference, it's an annual conference that's put on by the EPA. And basically, it's a way to bring in all these, these groups or people who work on smoke, uh, whether it's related to wildfires, whether it's related to prescribed burns, whether it's related to uh, public health and airshed managers. They bring them all into the, the room, and, and it's uh, it's over the course of three days, and it's a ton of learning lessons. You know, what did we experience last year? What what worked really well? What didn't work well at all? What's some of the emerging science um, on, on how smoke affects us or how we can control it better uh, or how we can be better prepared? So it was cool. It was, like I said, a three-day experience. I got to attend all three days, and that was really interesting. It was super helpful that it was hel- held here in Boise. Um, just down the street from our ICL headquarters, which is, uh, makes it convenient. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of the smoke management conference, uh, in a nutshell, I guess. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the ways that, like when you say smoke management, I guess I'm curious about what that means exactly. Yeah, no, it's an interesting thing because we don't, it's like once we have a fire, it's not like, like oh, we need to, you know, grab this smoke and put, put it, it in this container. Yeah. Put it over there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that is interesting. Um, so really, I, I think it's mostly talking about, uh, there's, there's a couple things. In terms of management, like how do we manage things so they produce minimal smoke or, or the smoke when things burn go away from populated places of so management in that regard? And that's more of like, crop burning and prescribed fires. Mm-hmm. And then on the, the converse side is when we do have these wildfires, how do we manage ourselves and our communities? Um, how do we notify people? How do we have these like safe areas where people who have are sensitive to the smoke? Um, 
how, like, how do we manage that? Does some of that come into play with, like, the air quality alerts and telling people, like, how often they should be going outside or not during smoky times? Yeah. No, that was a big... Um, the communication of, of air quality concerns was a big topic that kept coming up. Um, you know, people... It's, it's almost... The issue is it's all these things are opt-in. Like, people have to know to check these things. It's, it's hard... Um, you know, it's, it's on the news or it may be on like a state agency's website here in Idaho, the Department of Environmental Quality or DEQ has notices. But if, unless someone's checking those, um, it's hard, you know, it's not, it's hard to get that information popped up in front of them. Mm -hmm. Um, advertising costs money and, (laughs) um, I don't know, other people are taking that advertising space. So it's tough to get in there for air quality managers. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, um, so is this year's smoke management conference, like, do they have themes that they go under, or is there a specific topic that was more focused on than others? I, so this is my first one, and there definitely was a theme this year, and I don't know if they always have a theme or or what, but there was a lot of attention paid to public health. Um, So it was really cool. We had, uh, not only did we have forest managers and air quality managers, but we had a lot of medical doctors and scientific researchers come up and and talk about the the health impacts uh, from smoke on communities. And that was really interesting. Um, Some some background here too, the really, the pollutant that we're concerned about mostly is this thing called PM 2.5 or particulate matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the 2.5 stands for, it has a 2.5 micrometer diameter. Um, pretty sure it's micrometer. Um, so really, really tiny particles. Like when we look out across the valley and you see a haze, there's PM 2.5 in there. So you, you know, you can see that it affects your visibility. Um, but you can't actually like, if it's right in front of you, you may not be able to see that. Um, there's also PM 10, which is another, uh, pollutant. And that's just slightly larger particles. But really, the pollutant we're talking about is these really fine particles, these PM2.5. And so that's kind of what all the health discussion... And, and those are results of, like, things burning and then tiny pieces of it flying into the air. Is that right? Pretty much, yeah. So things burning and, and the, the fine particles go out in the air. Also, different reactions can happen and, and chemicals can come together um, and kind of uh, congregate or, or adhere together and, and precipitate out of the air some sort of fine particle. Um, but yeah, with forest fires, we're really talking about that, like really fine particles that come out from, um, from burning of biomass. And is it a pollutant or is it just something that's harmful for humans to breathe in? Uh, or is that, a, are those even different things? I guess? Yeah. So, well, um, so it, it's, it's harmful for, for people to breathe in because it's so small um, one of the issues is, is that when we breathe it in, it's so small that it can kind of permeate our lungs and get into our bloodstream and then really kind of settle itself into our body. So when you breathe harmful amounts in, it's really hard for the body to flush it out. Mm-hmm. Or some of the larger pollutants, if we breathe them in, eventually with time and with healthy lifestyles, you know, our bodies can kind of regulate that. Um, but the PM 2.5, because it's so small, it can be more difficult. Um, so, so it's harmful to the human body. It's also, uh, in terms of pollutant, the, the EPA has uh, what, what they call criteria pollutants, which are some of the, the I think there's six major criteria pollutants, and these are among the worst uh, 
maybe, you know, there's, there's more toxic substances, but these are the most prevalent pollutants that affect the majority of the U.S. Um, and uh, these are things that we have specific regulations to control. And so particulate matter, both the PM10 and the PM2.5 are considered pollutants under that one. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, but before I forget too, I just, I thought there were some really interesting takeaways on the public health front. Um, some, some notes that I wrote down that one in three homes in the U S have someone with a respiratory illness. So some specifically, um, really sensitive to these, uh, PM 2.5 issues. I don't know, you know, our listeners, maybe you guys can think about your own homes and see if you fit that stat. Um, but I thought that was interesting. Is that, does that include things just like asthma and like... Yeah, asthma, uh, COPD, um, what were some of the other big ones? Um, any sort of like uh, shortness of breath or, or tightening in the mm-hmm. chest um, related to various health issues. Gotcha. Another interesting thing too was, there. you know, there's this really clear link between uh, smoke issues and respiratory illnesses. Uh, and there's kind of emerging science on smoke and cardiovascular issues with our heart. Mm-hmm. So there's been a couple research studies that have showed that, you know, inhaling all this smoke is really bad on our heart. And then there's other studies that show uh, that it's not as clear as we thought it was. Um, so the, the kind of consensus among the scientists and the medical professionals that were at the conference was we should study this more. Like no one's really comfortable saying Either way, it doesn't mm-hmm. affect heart issues and, or it does affect heart issues. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, another thing too, with looking at data from 2008 to 2012, uh, someone, I forget who presented on this, but this is one of the presenters, but they estimated that the U.S. spent 11 to $20 billion annually on health-related illnesses um, related to smoke. So that was, that was quite a big uh, takeaway there. Um, and then the last thing, too, on the public health front. So do you have a question? Yeah, yeah. sorry. I was thinking the 11 to $20 billion annually, that is probably for the United States. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's for the United States as a whole. That's quite quite the number. Yeah, and with air quality, it's it, that. I mean, that seems like a big range. That's 11 to $20 mm-hmm. billion, I mean, you know. But one of the things that was a recurring theme was it's hard to necessarily correlate specific air quality events to health events. I mean, when it's really bad out, and someone goes to the doctor because they can't breathe, it's, it's okay, this is obviously like really bad smoke, someone with COPD is, is struggling. That's clear. Where it's un, slightly less clear is when it's moderate or somewhat uh, poor air quality, and someone may breathe that for five, six days, and then suddenly they go to the hospital you know, a week later. It's like, okay, what role did that poor, that moderately poor, air quality play in that person going to the hospital. Um, so that's another thing that the science is trying to tease out and the medical community is trying to tease out. That was really interesting to, to hear about. Um, oh yeah, and then the last thing too, I'm checking my notes here, but there's a discrepancy between uh, the, the NACs, the National Ambient Air Quality Standards, and that's the, those are the, the national standards that are set to protect all of us. When we go outside, um, that's designed to make sure that the air we breathe is safe for everyone. Uh, and the, so that's the NACs. And then there's labor standards, which is like someone who works, all of us, we, um, there's regulations through OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Administration. 
um, that set like, oh, if you do this particular job, here's the amount of hazards you're allowed to face. And that could be, you know, all sorts of things like, you know, people working in construction above a certain height need to be harnessed in or people driving a truck across the country can only drive so many hours. There's all sorts of regulations around that. Um, but one of the interesting things, there's a lot of discussion on wildland firefighters and I mean, their job is to go out and fight these fires and the, the exposure of smoke that they're allowed to be exposed to is by five to 10 times larger than the amount that the, the national standards are set for everyday protection. So this is a group that, you know, the nature of their work is to go out in these highly polluted areas and fight these fires. Um, and yet there, there's just kind of this discrepancy of, you know, or I guess there's a discrepancy of like, they, they know they're going into the very polluted areas and they're trying to figure out how best to manage that. Mm -hmm. And so you can't, can't stop the smoke from being there. But, you know, there's a lot of talks about, okay, like, how do we cycle workers out? How do we, if someone's working in some of the most, like, they're right on the fire line, breathing in those highest concentrations, how many hours should they be on that fire line before we cycle in a fresh person and get them to, like, a fresh air tent or something? Um, so that was really interesting as well. You know, I, our wildland firefighters do an amazing job, and their job is only getting more difficult. So I think it's it's good to see them get the attention they deserve. Yeah, that is really interesting. And it sounds like they're doing a lot of work on figuring out how they can um, kind of address that issue for firefighters. Is there work that they're doing, or how are they addressing public health concerns for, you know, the general public or people particularly who live in um, areas that are, you know, like Boise, for example, we have like a smoke season mm -hmm. and I'm sure that's true in other parts of the West in particular. Mm -hmm. So are there different management tactics for areas that are, you know, heavily inundated with smoke during the summer and then other ones that might be like, you know, less affected by it? Yeah, they, there was a lot of, there was kind of two, um, two objectives, I guess. The first is, is how do we prepare our forests and these large swaths of land that are likely to burn? How do we prepare them in such a manner that maybe they won't burn as severe or such large swaths of land? Um, and that a lot of that discussion was around prescribed fires. Um, so how do we go out either before the fire season or after the fire season and minimize or reduce that fuel load? And so when these fires come through, not as much smoke, they don't spread as large. The prescribed fire one uh, or strategy is tough because you got to find that sweet spot of, you know, if too early in the year, no one want, no one's ready for smoke. No one wants to be have smoke in their air. Um, after the fire season, everyone's tired of smoke. They're like, oh, not another fire. Like, yeah, it's a controlled fire, but still we're tired of it. The weather has to be right. You know, they have, they only want to burn when that smoke can go straight up and then be pushed out somewhere where people aren't like those sensitive communities. Um, you know, how do you communicate that? How do you let folks know a prescribed fire is coming? Um, so that there's a lot of, uh, pieces and parts that they're trying to figure out on the prescribed fire thing. Um, and that's kind of one strategy to help communities that really suffer with smoke is minimizing that fuel load around the community. The other one is, these were a lot of the public health districts and airshed managers who spoke on this, but how prepared are communities right now? Um, so there's a lot of talk about, you know, and one of the reasons we're doing this talk in March uh, is, you know, we want folks to start thinking about the fire season and the smoke season right now. You know, how, 
do you have like an in-home air filter with a, HEPA, a high efficiency HEPA filter where you have, um, there's a lot of talk about clean rooms or, or safe air rooms where designate a room in your home that maybe only has one window or no window. So no, you know, it's hard for smoke to get in. You can close the door, kind of seal it off, run that HEPA filter, get a, a room to where if, if you're sensitive or, or have respiratory issues, if you need an hour break, go in this clean room, read a book, watch a show, do something, but, but be in a clean air environment. Um, so that, that was kind of on a personal note, one thing that people can do. Community-wide, um, how prepared are folks with, you know, how are you going to communicate? There is a, especially in these more mountainous communities, when fires roll through, I mean, if you take out a telephone line or, or communication line, if you don't have power, if you don't have communications, a lot of these uh, airshed managers and public health district managers said the hardest thing that they found was when uh, when communicate communication was the first thing lost, and then suddenly it became really challenging for how um, you know how to let folks know like oh don't go out today or you know stay inside mm-hmm. between these hours yeah. yeah, and so that's things that we hope folks starting today will start thinking about get get preparations for make sure you have food water. You know, all the necessary supplies kind of uh, stocked up on going into the fire season. So it's not the day before fires, you know, on the borders of your town that you're preparing um, to, to, to handle that. So those are the big takeaways, I guess, there. Cool. Hey, you mentioned a talk in March. I don't know. Did you talk about that already? Did you say there was a, something? Or the, uh, oh, are you talking about this? Yeah, this? yeah. Okay. Just us, us doing this. I. I'm curious if folks are like, why is ICL talking about forest fires in March and April? Like, it's still spring it's and it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's my, like, disclaimer. of this. We're getting prepared. Yeah. yeah. I want all of our listeners to be as prepared as possible. Gotcha. So that's the goal. Um, awesome. Well, did you have any other kind of major takeaways or thoughts about your time at the um, Smoke Management Conference? Um, you know, I think the... So one of the big takeaways too, we, they talked about, you know, a lot about the health effects of, of fire on people. Um, they talked a lot about prescribed burning. They talked a lot about smart communities and prepared communities. The thing that everyone said though, is all of this work, it, it's necessary and they're happy working on it, but we're not going to get rid of fires. And, you know, not only in the presentations was this discussed, but also around like in on breaks and over lunch. You know, we, we live in the West. Fire is kind of our monster to deal with. Um, we There's a hurricane season kind of in the Southeast. There's earthquakes on the, you know, right on the West Coast. Um, New England right now is getting all sorts of crazy of weather. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, every region kind of has, Midwest has tornadoes. I've never been in a tornado, but those kind of yeah. scare me. <laughs> Um, I saw Twister enough time as a kid. I'm not into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's fires aren't fun, and they we all hate when we have poor air quality days that we have to breathe in. Um, but it's kind of this is this is what we have to deal with and what we have to figure out how to manage. Um, so that was a big takeaway. Um, the other thing too is you know as we just talked about the planning process. It's never too early to start. Don't wait until you read in the news. Uh, or see on TV that there's a fire and smoke's going to flood Boise or wherever you're living. Um, start thinking about it now um, and make make preparations. That's pretty key. 
Uh, and the big one too, the you know, biggest takeaway I had is just check in with your doctor. It's breathing in smoke. No one enjoys. And, and some, our body is great at some of the first signs that we get that it's bad for us is watery eyes or irritated eyes, irritated throat, irritated nose. I mean, our body is great at letting us know like, Hey, I don't like this. Something's going on. Yeah. <laughs> go away. Get out of here. Um, but beyond that, you know, make sure you check in with your doctor. If, if you live in one of these areas where it's likely you're going to get smoke in the summertime, check in with a doctor and say, Hey, how am I doing? Um, you know, should I, like, should I, what, what are my limits? Some people, we have the air quality index, which provides people kind of a range of, of, uh, color codes that correspond to air quality and you know those are labeled different things i think when you get up to the red and the uh the purple that's pretty much everyone you know don't go outside don't go play outside or don't do anything outside if you can Um, but some folks you know that that warning that level warning gets triggered in the yellow and the orange the more Mm -hmm. moderate pollution just because they're they have some pre-existing conditions. Yeah, I was gonna ask: is that what, is this kind of similar to the flu, where elderly people or children are particularly susceptible to the effects of smoke inhalation? Yeah, yeah. So it's um, that's a good point. I'm glad you asked that. You know, uh, elderly uh, youth, um, the anyone with pre-existing conditions, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's COPD, asthma. Um, I, I would recommend if you have any sort of heart issue too, because the science is a little unclear, check in with your doctor and see what they say. Um, so those, those are really the target, uh, sensitive populations. Another interesting one too, and this really resonates with me, um, but athletes can be among, uh, I I don't know if most sensitive would be the correct way to say this, but essentially people who, uh, especially endurance athletes, they're so efficient at breathing in air and turning that air into energy to, to keep their body going. Well, when you breathe in that air, those massive volumes of air, you're breathing in all that pollution too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, athletes, this is my, I guess, uh, my warning to them is just be careful, check in with the doctor, you know, if you're athletic and healthy and think everything's going for you, going great for you, that's awesome. And we're happy to hear that. But be on the smart side and, and check in. Um, you going to cut down some of your long runs this summer? Um, we'll see. Um, <laughs> if, if it's bad smoke, I may go in on a treadmill. Um, so, yeah. Well, given all that you know now about um, the smoke management from going to the conference and thinking about it and your takeaways, um, what do you think is in store for 2018 for the rest of us? Yeah, so it's um, the downside to having this talk now the plus side is that we're letting folks know we're talking about it. We're getting folks prepared. The downside is some of the forecasts are still pretty early on. Um, you know, whether it's, uh, man, this is going to be hard to convey over a podcast. I wish I had like a visual tool, <laughs> but weather is so variable that the farther out the, the forecast gets, you know, and this is true with weather and fire predictions, the more uncertainty there is. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you imagine like a big, expanding triangle or wedge, you know, the farther out we go, um, the more we can't say with too much certainty. Uh, that said, they, the Joint Interagency Fire Center or National Interagency Fire Center, yeah, NIFSI, mm-hmm. um, and NOAA has some, um, some projections through, I think, June. So kind of getting in 
um, early summer. And then folks can, if you Google NIFSI, N-I-F-C, fire predictions, you can find this page um, or fire outlook. But for now, what they're showing is they're predicting um, the exact language is like normal significant levels of fire activity. And so, like I said, fires are our menace to bear. And yeah, so I think normally significant in Idaho, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, folks throughout Idaho and the Mountain West, um, be prepared. Fires are coming. Um, they right now they have some prediction, some some large fires predicted um, up into northern Nevada. Uh, it doesn't as of right now, their predictions, those large kind of broad rangeland fires don't cross into the Idaho or Oregon border. Um, so, so that's good. Um, we're, we're going to keep an eye on that to see if that changes and see if those, um, if more larger fires are predicted in Idaho going as the predictions come closer. But yeah, as of right now, normal significant, um, <laughs> which I thought was an interesting word that, or interesting phrase. Uh, I do have one more question for you. Now I'm thinking about the kind of yearly cycles. Um, I would presume that the levels of precipitation we get during the winter would affect how severe, or maybe it would be a factor in how severe the fires are in the summer. Mm-hmm. So, when, like, for example, last year we were buried in snow. This year we weren't. Mm-hmm. So do you think, or did they talk about, um, you know, snow or precipitation levels during other seasons affecting it do you think that that could be a factor for us going into the 2018 summer yeah so it's with last year with 2017 we had so much snow and precip and um that early in the spring we saw a ton of growth and then just dry conditions throughout the summer Mm -hmm. so you had basically a a load up of fuel um that dried it all out and i think that drove a lot of pretty severe fires um with this winter having less less severe precipitation, um, things are more dry, but there's not as much fuel. Um, so it's that's kind of counterintuitive. That's really interesting. Yeah, um, kind of opposite of what I would have guessed. Yeah, it's you know the the big precip years, um, if those are followed by really hot and dry months, oftentimes what that just does is just load up the fuel. Despite um, all these grasses and stuff that um, cover the ground and just kind of serve as the base fuel that can burns quick you know slight breeze and suddenly we can get a large swath going one way or the other um so yeah the it, it's tough to say anything for certain but the fact that we may have less fuel buildup might help a little bit um all this to say too there's changes year by year and there's changes you know there's places that haven't burned and years and Mm -hmm. so those they've they've had that fuel build up for years now um so you know even though we we didn't get a massive fuel build up this spring they could still have a lot of fuel left over um from years past so uh yeah that's that so we don't know (laughs) yeah we we know normally uh, significant is (laughs) yeah um expect fires if if you live in a town that doesn't experience significant smoke, you know, go out and ride your bike or go for a run or celebrate because it's a, it's a rare thing um, and have fun with it. One last kind of parting thought, too, that I should mention is uh, I briefly mentioned that air quality index and how it kind of uh, 
it, it's color coded. So right now it goes green, which is good air quality, have mm -hmm. fun, do whatever you want to do. I think it's green, yellow, orange, red, purple is the color scale now. And a couple talks actually mentioned like we need a color past purple. Some of these, wow. um, some of these fires in these, especially if folks are interested, there's a really, um, in 2017, Sealy Lake, Montana had uh, um, arguably the worst air quality in the U.S. I mean, it was because not only there was wildfires burning all around it and the terrain, the the town is in the in the in kind of this valley region bounded by these mountains, and they just got smoke just got trapped there, and so that um, I think the purple I should I should know this off the top of my head, but I think it goes from you know, like 250 to 500 parts per million. And they were seeing levels, I think in the thousands, mm -hmm. like their, their monitors were breaking down because they were getting so clogged up. And so folks, Ugh. some of the air quality managers and air shed managers were saying, you know, we need another level to say like, this is, I, I think they want to term it catastrophic. It'd be like, leave your home. Sealy <laughs> Lake actually did get an evacuation order from air quality. Wow. Um, yeah, because it just got so bad. So, uh, yeah, scary stuff. So pay attention to air quality, talk to your doctor, stay informed. Yes. Oh, and that's, sorry, one last <laughs> thing. Um, there. So like I said, w one of the challenges with all this is getting people to opt into some things. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this is, I think one of the best ways we can do that now is the Department of Environmental Quality, DEQ, check out their air quality index, the AQI. Um, and that does daily updates. You can sign up for daily emails that they'll send you. Um, there's a whole host of apps. So if folks have a smartphone and are into the app thing, um, check out some apps. Uh, Purple Air has a good one. Um, the EPA has one called Smoke Sense. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Uh, you know, do whatever you can to, to get these notifications in front of you every day. That way you're keeping up to date on some things. Um, and I'm starting to see more now uh, my weather app on my phone mm -hmm. automatically does air quality. So that's cool, too. But, yeah, find whatever works for you. Find a way to check in on air quality every day um, and try to make it a habit. You know, in your, the morning, you're eating breakfast, check air quality, see what it looks like for the day, uh, and plan accordingly. Mm -hmm. so. so, and if the air quality is really bad and, like, you go to a gym, the gym has enough air filters that you're fine, right? You yeah, can most, insert yourself there. Yeah, you, it's always good to check in with, with any sort of owner or manager of a building, um, especially if you're sensitive, um, to see what sort of air filtration system they have. Most facilities will have, uh, you know, the incoming air will pass through a filter. Um, another quick reminder, folks at home, uh, especially if you're in a smoke have, have, area with heavy uh, smoke, change your filters, make sure you have fresh filters so they can filter the air inside your home. Um, and, but yeah, check in with a manager or something, just see what they do and make sure they're on top of it. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, those were the questions that I had. Nice. Well, thank you for interviewing me. It's fun to be on the opposite side of the podcast. You're so welcome. Thanks for letting me and Louise ask you questions about smoke management and Louise snore through it. Yeah. Louise is a... Uh, sleeping on the job here so maybe this is maybe this is a sign that my podcasts are boring 
I think it's a sign that you have such a comforting voice. Uh, okay, <laughs> nice. Um, I'll let, hopefully our listeners can uh, confirm that. <laughs> um, well, cool. Haley, once again, thank you for doing this. You're so welcome. Um, it was really fun chatting with you. And uh, signing off here, we just want to take the time to thank all of our members. The Wild Idaho podcast is totally supported by our members. Um, we wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for our members. So to all of our members out there, thank you so much. If you're not a member, check us out, idahoconservation.org. Um, all the information on the work that we do and information on how to become a member is on that website. Better yet, come talk to us in person at some of our events. Um, we love to talk to people in person about what we do, and we'd love to meet you. So, um, And if you become a member, you'll get to work with Haley. Yeah, um, who doesn't love that? Yeah, so I can <laughs> attest it's, it's a good combo. So. <laughs> Um, we're going to sign off here. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you guys soon.